this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we are back and as a part of our various Patreon options, which you can go to at patreon.com forward slash dig me out. We have one of our 12 month subscribers, well, patrons, I guess you'd say. They've been with us for 12 months. They get to pick a record. I don't, well, Gavin actually has multiple picks per year based on his being grandfathered in we talk about this every year so i don't know if this qualifies as a patron pick or a or grandfathered pick he gets picks uh, up until the end of the podcast and beyond once we're done we still have to keep doing reviews uh we just mail mail them to him when we're dead our children year. have to do reviews for gavin right exactly i'm thinking like carol as you just stand outside my door and recite it there you go gavin do you have kids because uh your kids can join our kids on the future version <laughs> Dig me out, podcast. There you go. Uh, not yet, so that'll good. That'll be good if they come later. Yeah, get on that. Get on that. <laughs> Everyone wants to know, Gavin, what is your pick for this week's episode? All right, uh, this week's pick is a band called Mantissa, which I'm going to be very confident that pretty much no one's ever heard of. Um, they did probably the first half of their career and the more successful part as Killing Time. Um, which is a name that like a thousand bands have, so they had to change it. Um, but yeah, so we'll see how we'll see how that goes. This is also part of my. I know when other people uh, make their uh, make their requests that they always want you guys to to like the album. That's what they're putting it forward for. I don't always want you to like it, um, but the, this is kind of this is kind of the quintessential '90s album, '90s band story, um, and it's also yeah. funny to go back and listen to it because I think it its sound is very much in the 90s it's not part of what we do now yeah and this is a 92 record and we had talked about in our year-end episode that uh we have not covered enough of 90 91 and 92 yet so yeah this is the kind of stuff that we need to get through so that we can tell the story of the 90s these are the records that uh kind of were the true true story of what was going on in terms of what was being released and what bands were doing so well jay it's yeah. a 92 record in australia and indonesia however it's a 94 <laughs> album in the united states well 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 there you go so i think that's a segue to the history of the band i think it is <laughs> i just want to say i'm gonna let gavin handle a lot of this but they have one of the best uh drummer names uh, the original drummer, or one of the... There are many drummers. Uh, Tubby Wadsworth. <laughs> no. Yep. That's Spinal Tap. Tubby Wadsworth. <laughs> on the That's drums. Amazing. That's amazing. So you mentioned that this band was originally called Killing Time. Um, yep. From what I briefly read... And there is, like, nothing on the internet about this band. There's a little bit at Amazon. They obviously have, they have a Wikipedia... They have an all-music page, but if you try to find, like, reviews, it's really hard to find anything. There's some stuff at, like, there's a metal website called, like, heavyharmonies.com that just sort of catalogs all metal bands. 
and then people can write in with like oh i got this cd and you know they can leave a comment basically and um this was very confounding to a lot of the people who wrote comments by the way uh there was only like four of them but can you give us an idea of you know where this band started out as killing time if they were did they sound similar to this or did they evolve into this sound that we're going to be talking about uh, they evolved, so they did sound like this. So Killing Time go back to the very late 80s, early 90s, and in fact a lot of these songs are 90, 91 songs. They just managed to drag out the recording process, and we'll get into that, um, for so long that it came out, you know, in 92, 94, et cetera, et cetera, which, as we all know, of that era, that that's a long time in music. 90 to 94, the music scene and sounds are not the same. So right. That's, that's not a good career decision. Um the earlier stuff, there's about four EPs, the early ones, uh, or, si- or singles with, say, three or four or five songs on them. Um, and they were, while they're in this sort of slightly metal, slightly grungy, slightly funky sound that they do, they were much tighter. Um, it seems that by the time they got around to the album, they were given a lot of freedoms, and, yeah, they just they made a big mess. <laughs> <laughs> They shit the bed, if you will. So yeah. So yeah. Um, talk a little bit about this record. Uh, the they actually came to the United States to record it, right? Uh, they recorded some of it in the states. They recorded a, a fair bit of it here. Okay. And then I think it got re-recorded in the states. They managed to um, fire the guitarist who was one of who was kind of the major songwriter on the EPs. He managed to get fired on the sort of brink of the album being done. And so I think they got rid of some of his contributions at that point. And I think the record, they got, they got signed on the back of the Ruby's Mind single, um, which is on here. Right. Sure. Um, but there's actually a B-side to that called California Sunrise, which um, never has to this day has never been released because the um, guitarist is the songwriter and he won't release it. But that was the song that the record companies were chasing. Huh. And Terry the, Date did the uh, recording... Uh, for the U.S. stuff, and people would know him from doing a lot of metal stuff like Pantera and Soulfly, Slayer, Limp Bizkit, White Zombie, Deftones, Dream Theater, Overkill, Metal Church. You know, he's got he's got quite the um, the history as, as far as recording heavier acts. Yeah, not that I mean I don't think these guys are hugely heavy. Again, back in the day, they probably sounded, but they're more of a a grungy sound than a heavy sound as such. Well, um, we'll get into that. <laughs> <laughs> Gavin, you're getting ahead of the format. All <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Come on. It's only, we've been doing this only like eight or nine years. So we should, uh, <laughs> and well, and I, and I bring those bands up because I, when I was looking through what little information I could find, um, they did tour, so it's weird. The album didn't come out until in the U.S. until '94, but in 1993, they traveled to the U.S. to promote the album. I guess just be- while before it was coming out or whatever. But they so they opened for Mind Funk, a band that we've oh wow yeah we've reviewed. That makes um, a lot of sense. And then they in they returned to Australia and Pantera went to Australia and they opened for Pantera in Australia. In '92, they opened for the Chili Peppers here. Right. Yes, that is that's as well. So, um, you're getting like several different sounds. Yeah. 
that are all relevant to this album based yeah. on the bands that they were opening for on those yeah. couple of tours. I've actually got for the for the actual songs when we get to it, I think there's three sort of almost distinct formats that they operate in. And you can break the you can separate the songs into each one. Yes, that's a good point. Um and uh I think if I am correct, one of the I think the the maybe I don't know if it was the original guitar player or the the guy who got fired, but one of them passed away like a year or two ago. Um, okay, that's not the original one then. I think it's um founding member and rhythm guitarist Chris Payne passed away in November of oh, right. 2015. Right, yeah. So so let's go we started off talking about our patrons. Let's see what they had to say about this record. Jay, do you have the comments up? I do. Do you want to read the fir- the first one? Sure. Scott Witt. Uh, uh, I saw them open for Dio on a Strange Highways tour. Interesting. <laughs> the crowd did not like them. All I remember was several people flipping them off. And I was, when I was talking to the band after, one of the guitarists was really short. Um, looking at the album cover, I'm not quite sure who that would have been. But uh, <laughs> I had a promo copy of the CD and was nonplussed to listen to a couple tracks and still am. Um curious if they were a band that switched their style when seattle hit doesn't seem like they really were all in and then ian wobble said clearly a metal band but the label tried so hard to sell them as alternative i remember the single mary mary was all over australian music television at the time if you want to see them really struggling with identity you have to look on youtube i just did so you got the guy on the left who looks like he looks like he's in an a, a, a L.A. street gang. I don't know what the heck he's doing with his shirt. <laughs> he's got, to describe, he's got the shirt buttoned up to the top, but then the middle section is completely open so he could show his abs. Right. And then he's wearing, like, boots, and he's, his jeans are cuffed, and he's got sunglasses on. He just looks like he's ready for a rumble. And then next to him, you got Jeff Keith. This is... This is what I imagine Gavin looked like in the 90s. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, I, now as well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gavin's dressed like this right now. Yeah. You've got, in the middle, you've got goth Rick Springfield, is the way I describe him. <laughs> is that not goth Rick Springfield? Like, it's, a little, a little it's, bit. it's like if, if Rick Springfield decided to front typo negative, that's what he would look like. I think he's wearing acid wash, by the way. Possibly. What's going on with his jeans. And then you got Nuno <laughs> Betancourt next to him. Yeah, <laughs> and then next to him is the girl from Len, uh, "Steal My Sunshine." I, I thought it was the girl from uh, White Zombie. Oh, maybe it is, but I'm just saying they're all in different bands. Is what is yeah. what it looks like here. Like it's like they took pictures of people from five different bands and layered them onto on, onto one badly photoshopped picture of a darkened but, city. But to me, that's so early '90s. Like, yeah, that captures the. A huge part of the early 90s that doesn't get talked about a lot right. is that there were a lot of bands that were trying to figure out who the hell they were. So you ended up with these these visuals and these looks that were just all over the place. So this is like perfect to me. <laughs> it's such it captures a time the 92 capsule. much more than uh, Nirvana does. Oh yeah. If any oh, of I think the I band can members... explain the look. Oh okay, please do. Um, so. The album, so the other album cover that you, the one that you're not talking about, is the 
uh, is the normal album cover. It's the Australian album cover, which is more an artwork with them sort of placed amongst it, and more it's a got a better theme or that's more continual continual in its own theme. Um, but when they by the time they were off to America, so the guitarist is gone, they've changed um, managers, and that manager thought they'd break really big in America because he thought the singer, um, Adam Pringle, and the bass player, Nina Grant, looked like rock gods. And so I think that's what he's going for there. He's repackaged that for America, tried to make them and gone with the, the rock god look. That's what he's trying to achieve there. Or the mossy god look. <laughs> <laughs> I also just want Whatever. Whatever that means, Mossy God. I don't know. <laughs> I, I want to mention that the font, like, if you had told me this band sounded like Rusted Root, like, I would have been like, okay, that's what that font looks like. It's got, like, weird, like, tribal uh, attachments to the T, and there's this weird circular thing going around the M. And I'm like, this does not all add up. No. Especially with the, with the uh, guy on the left. Or even, again, because they changed the name so late, I'm not sure how well thought out Mantissa was as a name. Mm-hmm. So the Killing Time name, when Ruby's Mind was released as a single, and again, that's on this album, um, that was printed with Killing Time on it. So the cardboard version of it that you buy actually has a sticker with Mantissa written on over the top of the Killing Time parts. So that's how <laughs> late in, in the piece that was. And even the, if you look at it on iTunes, like, like you guys can't see it, but the actual cover on iTunes has the sticker. Wow. That's crazy. The uh, Australian cover is much better. I'm looking at I'm looking at it now. I hadn't seen it before. Is it kind of like the like hand drawn, kind of swirly looking Yeah. 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 It's a bit like Fraggle Rock with the members of the band inserted. Yeah. <laughs> what is the what's the name about? Does that mean anything? It's a math term. Uh, okay. okay. It's it's like the it's something after a decimal point. Uh, you have to if you Google it, it comes up. But it's also the title of a book, which is apparently where they got that from. But it's it's technically it's a it's a um, math term, which always makes the best rock names. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks uh, to Ian and uh, Scott for their comments over at Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash. Uh, dig me out we have a whole bunch of new tiers for people to join become a a dig me out union member and support the podcast and you can join us to help us select not only our upcoming review episodes but also our roundtable episodes we have our first roundtable poll up that our uh, executive level folks at the uh, uh the steering committee and the um board of directors are handling and uh soon we'll be having an 80s poll to pick our first quarterly i think quarterly episode 80s episode by by monthly by monthly <laughs> sorry you gotta do one every other month oh every other month well then we gotta do one in february i know who agreed to this but what's what's uh I think compelling right now is that uh, some of those tiers don't have a ton of people in them. So no. if you get in there, you have a very good chance of getting your 80s record picked. Or oh yeah, you can pretty much be one of a couple people deciding the uh, roundtables. So is a genre you want us to cover or a scene you want us to cover, jump in there because you probably can go ahead and pick it. Let's just get into this record. I feel like we've built it up uh, in a way that we always build up every record, but 
we need to now talk about it. It's been 15 minutes or so. People don't want to listen to us babble. They want to hear sweet, sweet album review talk. <laughs> Can I so, throw in a bit more uh, sort of 90s band about this band for you? Yes. Um, so these guys go back. Like I think I said it to you in one of the things. This, this is Citizen Dick. This is the prototype for that. Um, yeah. They came in, so they're off the back of the couple of EPs, so pre any album, and the potential of that one single that had never come out, they have record companies chasing them all over the place. Um, their first deal was a $100,000 advance on the album and $100,000 to record, and that included um, $100,000 for a second album in advance and $100,000 to record the second album as well. So they're, they're in for four to 500 before they even kick off. Um and that was on the back of an EP that had sold 10,000 copies. At the time, the, the, there was two distinct factions in the band. Again, how 90s can you get? So the singer versus the guitarist, basically, and then people aligned themselves with whichever one they preferred. Um, the drummer was on the t- side of the guitarist, so the singer would kick over his drums during the session, during the set, every night. Um, of course. Yeah, to the point where they got into a punch on, on the stage, at one, and at one particular gig, the manager actually sang, because the singer didn't bother showing up. Wow. Wow. <laughs> this is like a great movie. Yeah, it's, well, <laughs> um, yeah, you just need to attach a romantic comedy to the back end of it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, the guitarist was such a strange critter. He used to, he, he was really proud of his long hair. So he'd comb his hair every day and collect the hairs and put them in envelopes. And at the end of the year, he'd count the hairs to see if he lost more hair than the previous year <laughs> what no way yeah this Stop is a real it. thing you're making this <laughs> up now that is creepy um, yeah did he throw uh, them away after he counted them or would he keep them i uh, look i haven't been in touch with him recently but i'll get on to that i thought you were gonna say that he mailed them to fans <laughs> oh. you could that... buy them at the merch table <laughs> so creepy and gross <laughs> Keep going. Uh, yeah. So, well, this so they started recording this album at the end of 1990. Um, they finished it in May '92 and was released in October '92 here. Uh, and obviously '94 with you, but uh, and then they've toured. They've yeah, they've moved to New Jersey in '93. Um, they got the agent from the Spin Doctors, who just ironically, if you call yourself Spin Doctors, sure, you don't need an agent. Um, but yeah, so they, they crisscrossed the states three times to support that album and got absolutely nowhere with it. Um, so they dropped another six hundred thousand dollars touring the states. Oh my god! Yeah, six hundred thousand uh, dollars. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, so I think the album only sold twelve thousand copies in Australia total ever. Were they ten thousand dollars per copy, so they could make their money back? <laughs> Strangely enough, if you look at eBay, they've gone up. So wait a minute, we had some fe- we had some feedback though that the Ruby's Mind got played a lot. Is that not true? Yeah, yeah, it did. And and the songs that um, came before that were actually played quite a lot. The EPs were very. Popular, but that was but... in Australia. They didn't break in the United States. Yeah, but that also that was like ninety one. There, there was a good eighteen months gap, and then a change of name before the album came out. And like I said, though, the earlier songs were tighter. By the time this came around, it's quite self-indulgent. And I feel it's a bit muddy in its production, and that does mm-hmm. drone on. Um, so the earlier stuff was sharper. 
Um, yes, I think the, the momentum that they had that made them popular was gone. And then by the time they got back to releasing the album, which is another 18 months after they'd sort of done anything, they've changed the name. And, and you know, around that time, between 92, 94, the world's just moved on. Yeah. Wow. It, that is such a... You, you, we've been through this before. The bands, mm. the, they change their names. They bring back a song from a previous release because, hey, it did kind of well and people like that. So we'll, we'll, put, we'll tack it onto the new record or we'll re-record it. And, you know, there's just... It happens so many times where they try to just drag out then the whatever or minor amount of uh, uh, goodwill they had. And it just gets like wasted over time because they're, like you said, getting self-indulgent. And, yeah. uh, geez, there's mm-hmm. a lot of money spent on this band. <laughs> well, if you think they include the second album then, um, and then that's, so that was recorded around about 95. And at that point, the, record company rushed them through recording it because it was contracted so they could get rid of them so they could dump them so the day it was done they released it they dumped the band um it was never released in the states and it's sold a couple of thousand copies in australia tops so yeah they just they just wanted to get rid of them wow bravo <laughs> well done gavin <laughs> well that's, that's it we're done tim, tim i need to, i think you need to go write that book I, I need to know what happened to these people after the that story Oh <laughs> my God! I mean, where's the behind the music? Is there an Australian version of Behind the Music uh, that was on VH1? Because I need a half hour of just like <laughs> talking head interviews about what the hell happened with this band. Well, I think it could be a good one too, if you because if you get the different factions, you could have them telling the same thing, but it'd come out completely differently, and you could just have them opposing each other. Yes, first. Okay, let's talk about the record that Gavin has already started defiling. (laughs) (laughs) Neither of us were familiar with it. So, Jay, this is your first time checking out Mantissa's Mossy God from either 1992 or 1994, depending on what continent you were on at the time. Tell me one thing you liked about it. Uh, Oh, yay, Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, there's some moments and things here and there. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, uh, there's some pretty decent guitar riffs. Um, there's also some terrible guitar riffs. <laughs> so, we, uh, you got to pick and choose. There, there's actually, I think on the second half of the record, it feels like a different songwriting approach. I don't know what's going on there, but uh, you get into some things that are a little more melodic. Uh, so, like, Ruby's Mind is almost, like, psychedelic uh, at times in terms of, like, a pop site kind of thing.
but then there's you know a lot of heavy riff stuff mixed in there as well um <laughs> i was analyzing the singer quite a bit and uh you know the majority i don't like um just that because i don't know what he's doing like i don't know what his voice is and like what he's trying to do until um there are a couple songs where it finally connected to me like what maybe his one of his inspirations was and that's uh david lee roth <laughs> so a song like station to me sounds like atomic punk like if you listen to the way he's singing that those phrases and the and the way he's singing that is very similar to it's like a bad impersonation of of david lee roth um so he does that kind of thing which is kind of interesting to hear um and then he goes into i guess more of a droney kind of not typical 90s thing which is less <laughs> interesting to me so it, it's a bit of a mixed bag um I, th- I think there's some cool riffs. There's some cool leads, you know. They they thrash, uh, thrash. They uh, tread a little bit. Melodic guitar leads and in, in some bits that are pretty decent. Um, some of the songs, like I said, in the second half are like I think the songs are there, but there's something about the production that just doesn't let them shine. Um, and they just seem over like they just like. They're not. There's no inspiration. Like some of the songs, I think, could be good, but they just sound like they've spent way too much time on them. They're too slow, and just the production overall just doesn't match them. So, I don't know. What, what do you think, Tim? Oof. Well, the mm, I liked some of the guitar playing. Like you said, it reminded me. Of this is gonna be a real, like, kind of stretch here. There, uh, remember that album that um, Sean Smith did with uh, the guy from what was it, Reagan Hagar? Where they or not Reagan Hagar? Uh, they did that. He did that like one metal album, uh, All Hail the Crown. Yep. Like there were a couple of songs where I was like, oh, this has kind of got that like boogie metal kind of sound that he was going for, which is almost like sort of a it's got a little bit of Pantera. It's got a little bit of that like yep. Southernish kind of, you know, metal that, um, they sort of invented. And it's obviously that all hell, the crown is very unique to Sean Smith. Cause it's his vocal approach, but there were at times where I heard like a little bit of mother love bone here and there in, in, yep. in, in some of the songs, um, I could almost hear Andrew Wood singing some of the melodies, like in uh, Dream Alone. Like there are certain parts of that song where I was like, this could almost be a like a Mother Love Bone song. Some of uh, Sanctify as well. Yeah, uh, but not enough to, like, because the vocal is so 
different. It wasn't enough to like captivate me and make me go, "Oh yeah, there's definitely." <laughs> I'm just imagining some people, the people listening to this, because we're gonna we're gonna mention so many bands that have absolutely nothing to do with each other, right? Like you've already mentioned. David Lee Roth, Pantera, Mother Love Bone. <laughs> well, oh wait, there's more. Yeah. So when yeah, you get to yeah. like, stay tuned. There's a couple songs where it gets real funky, is on the bass, and you're like, <laughs> why is this dude slapping the bass? Like that's stop doing that. <laughs> so then you get and when to, you say real funky, he's not joking. Like yeah. real funk. But when you get to like Round the World, which is the last song. I'm going to throw a real obscure, you know, people would go, oh, that kind of sounds like the Chili Peppers. Actually, what it sounds like is it sounds like Royal Crescent Mob, which was Happy Chichester's band before he was in Hell and Maggie. It's a a legendary Columbus band who basically predated Red Hot Chili Peppers doing that sort of, uh, you know, alternative funk sound. Um, And done well, I really, I dig that. I don't like what, the chili peppers turned into but i think some of the earlier stuff is is interesting because it's a little less uh you know commercial and not that i'm anti-commercial but just it's not as pop oriented and um that's what essentially road crosser mob was they weren't focused on like writing the best pop single they're just interested in like finding the best jam or the best groove for a particular song and writing some interesting lyrics over top of it. So that's kind of what round the world sounded like, but like, I would never go to happy Chichester and be like, Hey, this sounds like your band because he would probably, you know, <laughs> never speak to me again. So yeah, you guys would never talk again. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it's weird because when I started listening to this, the first song extra, there's like this weird deep vocal. And I yep, was like, yep. what is, what's that weird vocal again with the typo negative i was like is this gonna be like a really deep and then he starts singing and you're like okay why is this song so long (laughs) like why is this taking so long and then you realize well oh every song is like you know 30 seconds to a minute too long it's a 60 minute album at 12 songs it doesn't need to be you know 60 minutes and um there's just you know, like you said with his vocal, we never really got anything we liked. I, I mean, it's a curiosity to me, but it's not something that, like, I'm listening to this going, oh, they were just a song away from from pulling this off. Like, it's just a weird, like, I totally know what they're going for, but it's such a swing and a miss for the most part that, like, it's almost fascinating to listen to it just because I, I don't understand what the hell's going on. Why, it's, why it is so familiar, but yet yeah. so not working for me. That nails it. Yeah, there's so there are parts on this record where, when I listened to the first time, I I thought multiple times, "Oh my god, I've heard this song before." But then as I thought about it, I was like, "Well, wait a minute, maybe I haven't." And it would happen again, and it would happen again, and um, so there's so much about it that's familiar. Um, and, but overall it's a complete disaster. <laughs> <laughs> like starting with the first song, like you mentioned Tim, I mean, it's such a bizarre intro for the album. Like I can't imagine a weirder way to start this between, 
uh, you know, what they're trying to set up there. Like, yeah, I was with you. I was like, oh, this is going to be like a typo negative kind of thing. But by the time you get, you know, over halfway through the record, you're like, no, well, it's not, not that at all. Like, they totally should have started with Mary Mary. Like, the beginning yeah. of that song would have set the record up perfectly. You're like, okay, this is a hard rockin', you know. Yeah. I, I don't love the lyrics or vocal on that song, but at least musically it gives me a better indication of where we're going. The, the, Gavin, uh, help us out well, here. I'd say they've managed to pull off something that's virtually impossible by man- managing to sound derivative of bands that actually followed them. Because um, <laughs> most weird. of the reference points you're using here are actually bad. Like they, they weren't, they weren't taking things from the, any of these bands that you mentioned. Like maybe Mother Love Bone, but God, they were almost not even known about it at, at this point. Right, right. But most yeah. of what you're suggesting actually comes after this, especially when you consider these songs are four years old by the time they're released. You know, so I think it was more yeah. that they were just playing in their own pool. And by the time, because you know, Nirvana hit and record companies didn't really know what to release, they kind of just gave them a bunch of money and said, whatever you're doing must be right. And they're like, <laughs> well, we're so right, you know, and just did whatever the hell they wanted. Because I think when you talk about the, um, the vocals, a lot, of the, a lot of the lyrics sound like he thinks he's got these incredibly deep themes and the reality is he's just repeating the word time over and over again. <laughs> like, like he thinks he's saying something really important. Yeah, but it's just drugs. Um, <laughs> and as far as obscure references go, when you were talking about the the um, funk thing, I actually think that song sounds like um, early Pearl Jam B side, uh, Dirty Frank. Oh yeah, it's got that same sort of grunge bass with a well grunge sound with a slappy bass over it. That's 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 when I listen to this album, that song comes into my head. Yeah. I went and listened to that song, sorry. But yeah, I think I think because the Chili Peppers were around just before this, I think that kind of influenced that side of it, and I think Faith No More to a degree as well. Mm. Um, I think they probably started as a metal band and had the production pushed towards a grungy, grungier sound, and then they were also trying to be funky, and then, yeah, then this. That makes sense. I mean, if you... I think if you peeled him back, the, the, the singer... Mm-hmm. And you know, take a song like "Next State of Mind," that could be you. That could be a Pearl Jam Ten type song. Yeah. So I hear what you're saying. Um, 
Yeah, it's weird because. Well, I, I, I would uh, say, uh, too, Mystery Line to me sounded a lot like early Stunt of the Pilots, especially the verses, like the first like, record. Yeah. But again, precedes that by a fair bit. Right, uh, right. And Mystery Line's probably the most straight up and down. If you wanted, if you wanted somebody to like this album, that's probably the song to play them. It's the most, it, it's the one with the least weirdness. Like yeah. it, it actually makes sense in itself. It's one of those cases where that, that verse riff is actually kind of cool. Like, I can get into that. Um, but uh, it's it's brief. Yeah. But to me, one of the other things that I always thought about this was kind of like a um, like a metal doors. Yeah. You know, insofar as they could just get incredibly self-indulgent and lost in their own stuff. But when you said the um, the songs are long, not only are they long, they have the ability to actually seem longer. Yeah. <laughs> like when I look back at the times on it, because I knew you'd bring this up, um, when I look back at the times of them, I'm like, oh, they're only five minutes, which is saying something. Yeah. No, there's a lot. There's there are there's a stretch, sanctify, mystery line, and station, and the next state of mind is almost five minutes. We got like twenty minutes of song in the right in the middle, and it's only like four <laughs> songs. Mm. Um, that's a lot. That's, that's, there, there needed to be some, some editing from Terry Dayton. Mine's showing a a 60 minute record. Yeah. Yeah. At 12 songs. At 12 songs. Yeah. There's an 11 minute one chucked in there. But again, that's because they are the definitive 90s band. So they must have an 11 minute song. I don't have the 11 minute song. Wait, which one is the 11 minute long song? Oh, maybe you've got. Because um, the eleven-minute song is "Round the World." Ours is for th- four minutes. There must be four, a four. bonus track that wasn't included um, when I ripped it off of YouTube. <laughs> okay, because when, when you said um, that the, they left a song off, what was the one that was not on this recording? So uh, there is a song on the new way. Yeah. So New Way's a very um, funky song, but New Way could almost be like a radio edit version of um, Around the World as it's presented on the copy of the album that I have. So if you took the 10-minute or 11-minute version of Around the World and edited it down for a radio, it could actually be New Way. It's almost the exact same song. My goodness, I can't imagine 11 minutes of that song. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also getting a lot of, um, in my notes, I've got... Bands like Circus of Power and Faster Pussycat. Yeah, like Staying Clean was in that vibe. Yeah, I, Next State of Mind to me felt like Circus Power. Um, I felt like Mystery Line had some moments that sounded a little bit like Faster Pussycat too. Yep. 
and that and I mean that era of those bands um I, I think that era of those bands is better than this but um it's still in the theme of like grappling with the change in music and you know changing from kind of a hard rock metal format into something else right is which what those bands were doing and some were more successful at it than others but this band is certainly doing the same thing along with yeah. funk and whatever else they want to throw there. i mean fundamentally i think it comes down to the fact that it, it, both you and i have, have trouble with the vocal and him not being able to like really come up with a memorable hook for most of these songs is like he he finds it he writes a chorus but he's just sort of grinding a chorus out that's not melodic in a way that makes you want to like hum along whereas you know a better version of this like the bands we mentioned in comparison find those melodies and and those hooks like the only thing that i really remember is the merry merry thing Mary like, Mary quite contrary. Right, and it's only because it's so <laughs> lame. Oh, no. oh, oh, oh. When I heard that, I was just shaking my head. I was like, no, 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 can't do that. quite contrary. <laughs> I was like, what did Gene Simmons write this for his solo album? Like, what is this? Uh, here's something funny. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, some we I have a, we have an eight year old. Sometimes it's hard to get her to go up and go to bed. <laughs> Uh, so last last night I played this record loud in order to uh, encourage her to go to bed. So she just ran. She's like, she's like on the couch with her iPad. She's like, "Oh my god, this is horrible music." What do you? What, I'm going to bed. So I used it to drive her to bed. You're like the Pied Piper. You're driving the snakes like out. The Anti Wiggles. Yeah. Yes. And, I this, think, um, and that's a girl who grew as, up on Dawkins. Right. Yeah, I mean, she likes some rock and roll. She was like, this is horrible. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of things went on between the, the original writing of a song here and then the output that we actually get because the songs were written by the original guitarist. Um, then I think the lyrics were rewritten by the singer at this point. Mm. And, uh, I, I, so I think the original songs are going to be quite um, like a metal rock sound in their pure form, I think you'll find then that he's added his lyrics, which are, you know, dumb. Um, and then by the time they got around to actually recording, it, I think, oh, and the early stuff, the early EPs, the part of the deal they signed was that the guitarist was allowed to do all the production. He well, was that... the only person allowed to produce his songs. And then, then, but for the album, he's gone. So all his production's out. That makes sense because one of the things that's so weird about the record is that um, the vocal doesn't sound like he knows quite what he wants to do. Like, yeah. but then it it sounds like he does. Like all of a sudden a chorus will come and you're like, okay, well that sounds like considered and pretty well worked out. But there'll be long sections of verses where you're scratching your head like, what what is he doing? Like, yeah. does it sound like he's confident in the part or what the lyric is or how to deliver it or even how to sometimes even how to sing i'm like halfway through this record i'm like can this guy even sing <laughs> um it, it's at times the vocals also i felt buried to my ears mm. um it'll cut through for certain sections but other sections are like what's going on back there <laughs> like he's kind of in the background like grumbling um i feel like when they produced it they were trying to make 
bad motor finger or um, facelift with the production, mm. but they didn't have a band that actually sounded like that. And so there's a, you know, there, there's a gap yeah. between those two things. Yeah, I could see that. Wow, that's it's weird to think that they were trying to go for bad bad motor finger, and ended up with this. But just I, bad. I guess. <laughs> Bad motor finger without the motor finger. Right. <laughs> well, you don't have... I mean, you got some some interesting guitar stuff. The The bass, when it's not being slappy, is pretty okay. And the drums are okay. I mean, they're, they're not like... It's not Matt Cameron. Um, so then you're there's really... Nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with the performances. Right. They're, they're uh, fine, uh, but they're singer. not... But if you don't have like but you got to have an elevated singer then is what i'm saying like yes. if you're going to get like chris cornell is was yeah. an astounding singer so that's that's the hard and, part and there's there's long sections too where you're like wow this this guitar riff is really uninspired and then there'll be something that's cool but there's just not enough uh, any one time so what were your what? How did you receive this record in '92, Gavin? Is that when you? Heard um, it? Yeah, yeah. So I was big on the early EPs. So I was. I remember playing those a lot in the uh, CD player that I installed myself into my Mazda 323. Um, nice. I played those to death, <laughs> and I wish I still had them, to be honest. Um, and I do remember this coming out, and I was sort of waiting for it, waiting for it, and I thought it was okay. I know I played it a fair bit. I even bought the album after it, so. I clearly didn't hate it or I was hoping for something um, good. I know I haven't played that much because that was garbage. So, yeah, I think I was underwhelmed at the time but still into it. Uh, but I think, again, also around this era, this is when kind of musical your musical tastes are being formed rather than that you already know. So you listen to this and you go, maybe I like this. You know, yeah. you listen to Infectious Grooves and you go, maybe I like this. And now you go, no, I didn't. <laughs> uh, but at the That's time, you're like, this is new. <laughs> That's what I tried to. I tried to my best to do that as I listen to the record. Is listening to it now, but then I also try to project at the time. Would I have enjoyed this? Yeah. Um, I think I think I would have been with you. Like I think there would have been parts of this that I thought were really um, cool at the time, and uh, <laughs> I'm not sure the vocal. The vocal I probably would have struggled with even then. Um, but I think some of the the um the rhythms and uh, just the 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 riffs i probably would have been at the time yeah well the purpose of this album was to break america that this was this was the australian sort of heavy rock act that was going to conquer the states that was the that's why they gave them all the money that's why they were chased by everybody this was they were going to be the thing jay if you had been you know in high school or I guess beginning of college and gone to see like Pantera and this band opened up. Do you think that would be seeing them live? Do you think you would have been like, I'll take a chance on their album? Oh boy. I don't know. That's a good question. Um, they seem like based on the album cover, I probably seen them live. Probably would have thought they were kind of lame. <laughs> I might've been, I might've might been better off just hearing them on record. It, it is funny. There are some parts on this record that, uh, you mentioned the, the Pantera producer. It does sound like Pantera, but, but just slowed down. Like mm -hmm. the C to me sounds like a Pantera sound, Pantera song that somebody just took the speed 
and just turned it way down on uh, just the way the riffs um, are played and the production of it um, is very reminiscent of that. We've talked about Mantissa for quite some time now. I'm not even going to get into the fact why they had to spend six hundred thousand dollars in the United States and then not get anywhere. I don't. I don't know how you do that. I hope that's converted over from whatever currency that they were. What's the currency in Australia? Rubles. Uh, yeah, uh, ours. Now we uh, Australian dollars we use. <laughs> that's decimal. Uh, the, I've got those um, facts from a book, which if I sent you this book, I would now be redundant to you guys in the podcast, so you won't be getting it. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, but, hold uh, on to your magic. That's right. <laughs> Let's pretend I did the research. Um, yes, yeah, so that would have been Australian dollars at the time. A, a book? I'm fascinated. That's a Who book are... all about Austra- Australian alternative music from the 90s, and it's got, like, oh, just to briefly, <laughs> of the bands you've reviewed, um, yeah. we've got in here we haven't done the cruel so you got suggested the clouds um haven't you've got jebediah this is killing time so the killing time are here living end um rat cat regurgitator silver chair spider bait super jesus um are all covered umi so they're all covered in this event from like their beginnings and how they got um into the scene and because the record industry was learning and growing around the acts at the time as well yeah, that, that's that's part of the whole story of the '90s. Is that no, a lot of the people involved didn't really know what they were doing. Yes. Do they write about 28 days? <laughs> Tink, <laughs> Tink salmon. They're not, they're not on the cover. <laughs> the welcome mat. Blue bottle kiss. Right. Uh, Come on. Yeah. How about the, the screaming jets? Baby it's animal. Not, screaming jets will be in there. But this is more an alternative. They're more straight up and down band. Uh, I'm going to make Gavin break. Yeah. <laughs> Gavin, is this the Encyclopedia of Australian Heavy Music by Brian Griffin? No, this is The Sell-In. Oh, okay. How the Music Industry Seduced Alternative Rock by Craig Matheson. Gotcha. There's a book on – I found it on Google Books uh, called The Encyclopedia, but it's – Encyclopedia is spelled differently. There's an extra yeah. A. Asteroid B612, front-end loader, something for Kate, <laughs> bro. The Whitlam's Regurgitator, Spider Bait, you know, the Mark the of Cain collection, Finney's Cab. We uh, own, yeah, we own the market on Australian music. By the way, we are. We I'm going to do some Australian theme merch. You should. <laughs> that would be incredible. Let's stop <laughs> the madness and let's talk about our overall ratings for this album. We're better ep or decent single let's just go there oh man well i i mean you would think based on the review you would say single but i i feel like this is at least an ep that you that people need to hear because if you listen to one song you're not going to understand the what we've been talking about because you just get one slice of it you need at least like two or three yeah. So I'm thinking like Land of the Living, Sanctify, and Ruby's Mind, and maybe you throw in Around the World just to give you the that left curveball. And uh, I think it's a worthy EP just to take just to transport you back to a part of the early '90s that, uh, like like we mentioned, is is not talked about enough, but was very very real and very part very much part of my memories. I guess that's valid. I guess that you really need an EP to understand 
like three to four songs. What's going on here? I wish it could just take like 30 seconds out of like four songs. <laughs> that would probably work better for me. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I won't argue with that. So I'm probably, yeah, I'm probably like kind of a sampler EP. Sort of like if you didn't buy the songs on iTunes, you could only listen to 30 seconds of each one. That's what I would go with. I would go with a 30 second iTunes pre-buy soundbite of four songs. There's your EP. <laughs> or, or like when they did that Purple Rain medley where it's like all of the songs from Purple Rain in like 12 minutes. Right. Hey, you could do that here. Yeah. I, I, I'd i like that record. <laughs> <laughs> Gavin, uh, how do you rate this record? I'd, I'd be an EP. I couldn't even tell you which songs. Um, Mystery... Uh, Dream Alone, Ruby's Mind, maybe. Uh, maybe throw in... Well, I, you didn't have a new way, so... Um, just throw in one of the funkier songs, as you say, just to make sure you actually understand that that's part of what this album is. But if I was to make this an EP, I'd actually make it one of the EPs that came before it. Ah. One of, one of the Killing Time EPs, which are way better. Okay. But I guess that's a bit that's a bit too tough to do. Yes, you're asking a lot now. Was the production... I mean, I guess the production's not engineered poorly. It just doesn't fit the music. Yeah. Was the production of the EPs better? Was it more appropriate for the music? Yeah, it was more crisp. And it yeah. was, like 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 we said, I think the, the production of this album is trying to make them sound like something else. And I think the EPs that are produced to at least sound like whatever they are, whatever mm-hmm. that is, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, just to round off on the total 90s ability of this thing. So, they come crisscross the States, they get they release the second album, they get dumped, and Lane Staley uh, takes the singer's girlfriend. <laughs> How'd that happen? Oh, <laughs> I have no idea. They probably opened for them or were on some kind of bill. And he had better smack. Right. Yeah, without trying to um, stereotype anybody, she was probably looking for a, a successful musician. Ah, oh, poor Grunge Rick Springfield. Poor Grunge Rick Springfield. <laughs> Gothard Springfield. Episode. Oh, sorry, Gothard Springfield. Uh, Gavin, it's always fun when you stop by and you bring us something we've never heard of and don't know what quite to make of it and leave us more perplexed than when we started. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see what you've got lined up for your next couple of picks for the year. I think we've discussed in general some. Oh, I think we. I think one of them's going to be a soundtrack. Yep. Can't yeah, wait to unleash that one. Yeah, leaving these shores again, but hopefully it's equally got as much to talk about because that's was one of the the great parts about this album is there's a lot to talk about with this album. Like it or hate it, there's a lot to talk about. Yes, there will be a lot to talk about with our record. So. I want to remind everyone, Patreon is the place to go to support the podcast. Patreon.com forward slash dig me out. Be a part of our uh, group selecting upcoming album reviews, roundtables, 80s episodes, uh, as well as be entered into quarterly giveaways. And then you can support us also by leaving positive feedback over at iTunes 
Gavin, thanks once again for coming on the show. We always enjoy our cross the world conversations. Thanks to the magic of Skype. Yep. I hope that it's now. I hope that it's nice and warm there. It is currently twenty seven degrees in uh, Columbus, Ohio. So Yeah, it's nice and warm. It's probably about the same, just on the other scale. Oh, Damn you, Celsius. I'm a, little bit, I'm a little bit concerned that you might wind up hearing from um, Cinderella's lawyers in relation to your um, Pantera developing southern metal thing too, so just be careful about that. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> they, won't, they won't come after me. They know. They know. We're, we're good with Tom Kiefer. We're yeah. solid. <laughs> Eric Brittingham, we're, we're tight. <laughs> I don't know anybody else who's in that band. I can't remember their names. Fred Curry. Fred Curry Curry is very litigious. Oh, is he? (laughs) Damn it. He's Cinderella's Gene Simmons. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. All right. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.com patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our facebook twitter and instagram pages as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com Seven.